Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this week's episode of the Weekly Walkthrough. Uh, thank you again for listening. We're here on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else that you get your podcast. and we are happy that you are joining us today. Uh, I'm back in Columbia, so is Nick, and uh, I'm joined here uh, with by Nick, actually. Good morning. Good morning, sir. And yes, we couldn't get into the studio today, so we are doing it in person, live, from your room. So, yes. exciting stuff. <laughs> yes, sir. From the apartment, we are recording this morning. Uh, normally, this is Nick's key, but I'm going through it today. Upsets from last week. Nick was right again, picking Oklahoma State over Kansas in basketball, and my Michigan State over Iowa pick was postponed again. That makes my second, and I believe the last three weeks that has been postponed due to COVID-19. It's a curse. Two out of three? It is. It is. It is. It's tough. Uh, and hopefully this week, you know, my game happens at least, even if I'm wrong, maybe. It'll be <laughs> nice to see the game happen. Uh, let's jump right into the show last Sunday. The Baltimore Ravens defeated the Tennessee Titans 20-13 in the opener of Super Wild Card Weekend uh, in the NFL. Actually, not the opener, but it's the opener of Sunday's Super Wild Card Weekend in the NFL. Lamar Jackson passed for 179 yards and no touchdowns and an interception, but also ran for 135 yards and a touchdown in that one. Well, the Baltimore defense held Ryan Tannehill to 165 yards passing with a touchdown and an interception and a uh, 2,000 yard rusher Derrick Henry to 18 carries for 40 yards and no touchdowns. Did you watch this one, Nick? What'd you think? I did watch this one, and first and foremost, have to say congratulations to Lamar Jackson on getting his first playoff win. Well, after that game was one and two, get into his game yesterday, further on into the show. But I was very impressed with Lamar Jackson's ability to run, like you said, over 100 yards and a rushing TD. Played very well. J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards weren't as impressive. Very defensive game from pretty much both sides. Tennessee got up early, ten nothing, but Baltimore showed their grit and they and their toughness, and they came back and won. I was surprised that they came back and won. They were really able to limit Derrick Henry only forty rushing yards. So and nobody's really been able to do that so far this season. It's really just been you know Baltimore here in the playoffs shutting him down and. And as we saw, that was the key. Derrick Henry going like he normally does is the key to Tennessee's offense, opening up the pass a little bit more as if you're worried about Derrick Henry rushing for 100, 200 yards. Uh, then you'll have to worry about that. It opens up you know, people like A.J. Brown for for the long touchdown passes and, and Ryan Tannehill to, to hit those open men as they as they as the defense has stuffed the box on Derrick Henry, but he just wasn't able to get going. And and that really cost Tennessee this football game, I'd say. And that's back-to-back playoff games for him last Last playoff game, he had AFC title game against the Chiefs, had like 69 yards, this one 40 yards. So back-to-back poor performances for him. Yeah, and we will uh, we'll have to see exactly where the NFL decides to go in their MVP decision. You obviously could put Derrick Henry in there as he has you know, rushed for over 2,000 yards this season, but we'll have to see. It's probably going to come down to between him and Aaron Rodgers as we get to the end of the season here and we have those announcements happening. I don't know if Derrick Henry's above Mahomes right now in MVP. I mean, we don't see a 2,000-yard rusher very often. We don't. We don't. That's true. So, I mean, that's that's the only reason I have him up there. If you know, if you, you hit 2,000 yards on the ground, you're doing something right. Uh, but moving on, let's talk a little bit about the New Orleans Saints, the Chicago Bears. Of course, the Chicago Bears uh, season coming to an end uh, on last Sunday with a 21-9 to defeat to the New Orleans Saints. 
Drew Brees passed for 265 yards, two touchdowns. Alvin Kamara added 100 on the ground and a touchdown. The Bears' offense was extremely underwhelming as Mitchell Trubisky passed for less than 200 yards, and David Montgomery only rushed for 31 yards. Uh, the Bears have not won a playoff game since 2011. It's now been 10 years since they've won a playoff game. Uh, and that drought will continue with a lot of changes coming up for Chicago as they enter this offseason. Uh, so, what do we think of this one? I did fall asleep during this game, I'm pretty sure. Or no, I think it was actually Week 17. I watched this game. The Bears, this was always going to be a tough tough game for them to win. The Saints are a phenomenal team. They have a great defense, and that showed against not only when they played the Chiefs earlier in the year toward the later half of the regular season. We've seen the Saints defense really come into their own, and a guy like Mitchell Trubisky with the limited offensive weapons he has is going to struggle, and we saw that. Didn't play bad, but didn't play amazing. You know, there was just, it was always going to be, this was always kind of what we expected from this game. The Saints have a phenomenal team. Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, Drew Brees, all these pieces are just so phenomenal. Their defense is also incredible with the secondary they have in that front seven. I just, the Bears were just overmatched. Correct. They they were. And it's quite possibly Mitchell Trubisky's last game in the Chicago Bears uniform, along with a couple of people like uh, Allen Robinson we might not see back next year as he has a very high free agent you know demand for a wide receiver of his caliber. Uh, and yeah, and, and the Saints, as you said, just came out and they were the better team. They, they had beaten the Bears once already in the regular season, and, and they showed their dominance again here in the postseason. And of course, no, you know, miracle bad call or anything like that happening to the saints in this one as they do get a playoff win and what feels it feels like they're always being their dreams are always being crushed as we get to this time of year but i certainly think the bears can look back on this season and be pretty happy with the production they got i mean you made it to the playoffs and then you know you lose first round eight and eight team but this bears team did show resilience they came back they fought even despite a bad second half showing for them in the regular season. They came and they played well against the Saints team that you know, quite possibly could represent them in the Super Bowl. That is not a hot take. I think the Saints are a phenomenal football team. Oh, absolutely. The Saints, the Saints, one of the best, of course, at 12-4 and four, uh, in the NFC. And they have a chance when they play today to, against the Buccaneers to go to the, uh, to go to the uh, NFC Championship game as we move on. Uh, in terms of the last game of the night, we did have the Cleveland Browns taking down their division rival Pittsburgh Steelers in a 48-37 victory that they jumped out 28 to nothing after the first quarter. If you are a uh, Cleveland Browns fan, boy, this was sweet for you. It had been a long time coming since a playoff win. And to get it over your division rival, one of the teams that beats up on you over and over and over again for the number of years the Browns have been bad, it's been great to see them uh, get their first playoff win. Oh, 100%. And the way they did it from start to finish, especially in that first quarter when Big Ben gets the bad snap and they give up a touchdown first play. From that moment on, it really felt like the Browns game to lose because everything was going right in that first quarter. Going up 28 nothing, you know, just... Played an incredible game. Big Ben threw four picks. Just not. He a... also threw for 500 yards on 68 passing yeah, attempts. Threw the ball 68 mm. times. That's incredible. It's got to be close to a playoff record if it's not a playoff record. I mean, that is a lot of times to drop back 
If you're beating the record, you're basically dropping back seven, eight times. And they <laughs> and they had to. You know, they had to do that to uh they had to do that to even be in this football game going down by that many to start it out. Like that's just it's it's unbelievable what happened with their I mean, and it wasn't even the Cleveland Browns made some good plays, especially on defense, but it wasn't like it wasn't like they did anything super good. You know, it was a, a snap over Ben's head. It felt like the Steelers lost the game. Yeah, the I was going to say the defensive touchdown that started the game for the for the Browns. They honestly just got lucky to have that because all they had to do was dive on the ball in the end zone. They didn't force the turnover at all. It was just a bad snap, and you saw that kind of stuff happen the entire game. And and, and Ben just made the throws that we aren't used to seeing him make. We aren't used to seeing him make those poor kind of throws. Well, when you have a when you had th- that was the big problem with this team. If they got down, if the Steelers got down and they weren't able to control the game like they wanted to, they weren't gonna. You know, they're not going to beat the Chiefs if they're down. They're not going to beat the Browns if they're down. They're not going to beat a lot of teams if they're playing down. And one thing that really derailed this team, in my opinion, is the injury to Bud Dupree. He's all pro easily, one of the best interior linemen in the NFL. Dude had a crazy year. And when you lose that second or third best piece on your defense, I'd probably label him the third best piece. In most cases, probably second best piece on a defense. When they lost him, when they lost Dupree, I just think the defense started crumbling. Team couldn't get it figured out, and then that was a big problem. But the offense, the dink and dunk, can only work for so long. It wasn't, yeah, it was their offense wasn't intimidating at all all season. You saw them only be able to put up 52 rushing yards in this game. Uh, of course, their wide receiver numbers are going to look pretty good with the fact that they passed 68 times. You know, you see Juju Smith-Schuster with 157 yards receiving, but Ben threw for been through for 500 yards in this game so someone had to catch the ball but yeah no the Browns the Browns good for them and they and they you know had to score a little bit at the end to to hold off the Steelers as they tried to come back uh, through the last three quarters of this game but the Browns really really never felt like the Browns were going to lose this football game after the really the first offensive play for the Steelers yeah I would agree with that are you ready to move to Monday sir yeah, let's move on to Monday. That pretty much caps off what happened in Super Wildcard Weekend last Sunday. Uh, so yeah, let's move on to Monday. Go right ahead. The Eagles fired head coach Doug Peterson after five seasons with the team. And then they, he is most known for his Super Bowl title win in 2017 and got fired three years after it. So what did you think of the fire? It's tough. It's tough because when you look at the Eagles since that Super Bowl win, a lot of their struggles have been due to the fact that they've had so many injuries on both sides of the football, and it's hard to judge a head coach on you know a, coaching an injured team with all those backups and stuff like that that they have in. Uh, I mean, it, it, when you look at their records and what their expectations were and how they've been trending the past couple of seasons, I guess it makes sense. But at the same time, I feel like it's feel like it's a difficult it's a difficult firing there because he was someone that took you to the promised land what three years ago three seasons ago and he's had some he's had some troubles with uh personnel that are really just out of his control but at the same time when when you're looking for you know a scapegoat for something with a bad record or a team with a bad record it's it's the head coach and the general manager that go and in this case Doug Peterson was the one that lost his job I'm not a big fan of the fire personally, and I'm going to explain why. Over the last, excluding this season, the last three seasons he made the playoffs. So he had, so he's made the playoffs throughout the last four years. Last year certainly shouldn't have made it. They were 
their best receiver last year to end the regular season and for a lot of the last half of that year was Greg Ward Jr. Man played quarterback in college for Houston. Man is not a legitimate wide receiver. Like the fact that they won the division last year and even got to that point, and then the year before that they had Nick Foles. They were one drop, Alshon Jeffries drop away from the NFC title. I I don't like the fire. I think that he's kind of being used as a scapegoat for a lot of the players' frustrations after their Week 17 loss to the Washington football team. I don't think it's fair to put all the blame on Peterson because, like you said, they've had a lot of injuries. They've had a lot of line problems, especially, like you said, with injuries. I think they should have given him one more year, but I understand the firing at the same time because a lot of people were upset at them for not going it going giving their best foot forward to try and win that week 17 game but who cares i mean you weren't playing for anything anyways you know you benefit more from losing the game because you get draft capital for it so i wasn't a fan of his firing yeah no i i completely agree with that i just think it's it's he's got a tough situation this year in the past couple of years with injuries and unfortunately that's that's the uh, nfl that we live in right now with the fact that if you're underperforming, no matter what the circumstances are, you're you're on the hot seat, especially if you're a head coach or a coordinator or something like that. Uh, and and yeah, that chair gets warm real quick if if your team starts to struggle. One hundred percent. Also on Monday, uh, Alabama beat Ohio State to win the national championship, fifty-two to twenty-four. A game that the Buckeyes really didn't feel like they were in for most of it, especially after their running back who had been doing so well throughout the second half of the season, Trey Sermon went down and ended up going to the hospital, I believe, with with was uh, what was ruled a broken collarbone. So uh, a tough a tough game for for Ohio State there and Alabama showing that, you know, three Heisman, three Heisman, three Heisman uh, finalists in the top five is, is no joke. Yeah, 100%. Alabama, this is one of the greatest teams of all time. Mac Jones, a really nice story because he was the third string behind Jalen Hurts and Tua Tungabailoa, both NFL starting quarterbacks. And he's shown that he's going to be a first-round pick. Najee Harris has been arguably the best running back in college football. He's been phenomenal. Devontae Smith being the first wide receiver to win the Heisman Trophy in the last 30 years since Desmond Howard for Michigan. I mean... It all just cultivated into this blowout. I mean, this team is dominant. I mean, they haven't had a close game all year. I mean, we look back at that LSU team from last year. I think this Alabama team could beat that team. I really do. Like, I think this team is so has been so dominant across the SEC West and then now in the college football playoff that it's been – I mean, it's hard to judge because it is a COVID year, but this team has been phenomenal. Their closest games, looking at the schedule here, were the – SEC championship against Florida, where which they won fifty-two to forty-six. That was the only game within one possession. And then you're looking at your other close games were Mississippi, which they uh, won 50, sixty-three to forty-eight, and, and in all honesty, Missouri, which they only won by nineteen points at a thirty-eight nineteen victory. And even that, even that Florida game, it says it's a six-point game. They were up by double by two possessions most of the game. They gave up a late touchdown, you know, but. I think this team has just been so amazing. And we really have to take a step back and realize how great the Bama dynasty has been. Because now what? Saban's got six titles now. I believe so. Just been phenomenal. And he's looking he's looking like they're just going to keep 
keep doing Bama things. And it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be interesting and fun to watch. A lot of these guys blossom in the NFL here, as as we're gonna see something kind of similar to LSU last year, where we see all these guys get drafted from these teams. I think we're gonna see a lot of that here uh, with Bama. Of course, I don't think the drop off will be as strong just because of how strong Bama recruits and all that stuff that they have going on with Nick Saban there. Uh, but you know we're going to see Mac Jones in the NFL next year. We're going to see Najee Harris. We're going to see gonna we're going gonna to see Waddle. We're going to see uh, Devonte Smith on the defense. We're probably going to see Dylan Moses in the NFL. We're going to see Patrick Sertan. It's 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 just going to be a, a big turnover for Alabama next year. But I expect them to you know take that challenge head on and and still be title uh, contenders, title favorites as we move into the beginning of next college football season. For Tuesday, let's move on. A top 10 matchup between Michigan and Wisconsin in basketball that saw the Michigan Wolverines blow out the Badgers 77-54. to uh, Michigan, with this game, would remain undefeated. Of course, that streak came to an end yesterday, which we will get into a little bit later in the show. But Michigan, in this game, moved to 11-0 after an absolute domination of Wisconsin. Oh, yeah, Michigan shot the ball incredibly well in this game as a team. Shot 56% from three, and then shot 51% from the floor the whole game. Wisconsin, 30% from the floor, 32% from three. Just very poor outing for Wisconsin, and not a good day to see Michigan on a poor shooting day. That's why you see the score that you do. And other than that, I mean, just shooting the ball just seemed, defense just seems to be a problem for Wisconsin. But Michigan... It does always seem like they have a very sound defensive team. It's why they're able to make the tournament runs that they do. It's why they peak in February and March and do so well. And I could definitely see them making a Final Four run this year, certainly. Yeah, I mean, you pretty much covered it there. It was just something where you're looking at the numbers for Wisconsin, and it's <clears throat> you just can't shoot like that. You can't shoot 30% from the floor and, and beat a top-10 team in, in Michigan. And you can't you, – I mean, you look at the Big Ten this year – you can't shoot thirty percent in a conference game and win in the Big Ten this year. You can like you've seen Mizzou have a have a game where they or two where they've struggled to to make the put the ball through the basket and still be able to pull it out uh, in conference play, but that's just not the case in in the Big Ten this year. If you're going to shoot thirty percent, you're going to lose, and and part of that is Michigan's defense, and and part of that was a struggle by Wisconsin on the offensive end, but. Uh, but yeah, no, that's it. That's pretty much what we've got on that game. I think you pretty much hit the nail right on the head there with that one. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> and now look, and this was your upset pick of the week. You got the Oklahoma State Cowboys taking down the Kansas Jayhawks. Cade Cunningham added 18 points for uh, Oklahoma State. And, and Kansas dropped another game. This one sent them to 10-3 and three and 4-2 and two in the conference in what has not been the best year for the traditional blue blood, blue blood programs of college basketball. And yeah, the Jayhawks, they they did struggle. I think I think their biggest biggest thing looking at the box score is Jared Wilson or Jalen Wilson, excuse me, not playing well. He was averaging 15 points a game, dropping down to 14 points per game. And he's been, you know, one of the big leaders on this on this Kansas team. He's He's been one of their leading scorers. He's been, and he just can't shoot two for seven and only score four points in this game, and really not impact any other, any other way. Got five rebounds, three assists, but you need he needs to have more production, and then this team would be fine. Big another thing: Kansas shot terribly from three, twenty-three percent on twenty-one shots, five for twenty-one. Not something you're gonna do very well when you're going up against Cade Cunningham, who 
comes to play every game. He shot 6 for 12, 3 for 6, 50% on the day. Big reason why this team does anything. But nice scoring contributions from OSU as well. Four of their five starters in double figures. And that's what you need to win college basketball games in this in this era of, of offense and how good offenses are in, in college basketball now. And what do you think about Oklahoma State's chances to try and make a run here at the Big 12 for the title? You know, we've got some good teams in the Big 12 right now. Of course, we're looking at Oklahoma State, who's 9-3, and 3-3 three, three and three in the conference, fifth currently in the Big 12 with Baylor, Texas, Kansas, and now Texas Tech ahead of them. <clears throat> do you think it's out of the question that they try and climb back in to, you know, the race and try and finish up near where Texas is? Uh, they've only lost one conference game, or do you think this is a team that we're going to see, you know, finish middle of the pack here in the Big 12? They could certainly finish toward that top three. Winning the conference is going to be a little sketch, especially with Baylor still lurking. That Baylor-Kansas game on Monday is going to be huge because if Kansas can knock off Baylor and take their undefeated uh, mark and that undefeated in the Big 12, that's going to be huge. So that's a big game to look at, uh, what, tomorrow, yeah. And that's going to be a big game, but I don't. I see them kind of on the outside looking in because they don't have the help around Kate Cunningham. They're going to need they're going to need some help from some of the other players on that team. but And they got that against Kansas. So we're going to see. I could certainly see it happening. Well, that's all we have for Wednesday. Or for Tuesday. We're going to move to Wednesday. We got James Harden traded to the Brooklyn Nets in a huge four-way trade that involved the Nets, the Rockets, the Pacers, and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, this deal sent Jared Allen and Terawan Prince to Cleveland with Karis LeVert uh, and a handful of first-round picks and first-round pick swaps to Houston. Uh, the Rockets also received Dante Exum and a 2022 first-round pick from Cleveland. Uh, and Brooklyn acquired a 2024 second-round pick uh, from the Cavs to complete the deal. And then after that, the, uh, the Rockets sent Karis LeVert and some picks up to Indiana for Victor Oladipo. So a lot of new faces in a lot of new jerseys here as we move into, you know, we're only 10 games into the NBA season and, and, and moves are already being made. Yeah, James Harden being the biggest piece of that, you know, top five player in the league, if not top five, certainly top ten, probably the best shooting guard in the league right now. Him going to play alongside Kyrie and Kevin Durant makes them certainly the favorite to come out of the East now. You have those three trying to stop all three of them. It's going to be a matchup nightmare for any team, really, for that one through five spot. And it's going to be interesting to see how they complement off of each other because Kevin Durant, obviously the number one option there. He's the second best player in the world, in my opinion, when healthy, right behind LeBron James. Kyrie Irving doesn't have a game that can step back and play that third role option. So James Harden is going to have to be that third option, and I think he's totally fine with that, especially because he, he can play off ball and off of people a lot better than people give him credit for. You look at how well he played with Russell Westbrook and Chris Paul, and the dude can play off of a good guard, and that is what Kyrie will provide, and then you add Kevin Durant there, the Slim Reaper himself. It's going to be scary in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, yeah. You mean once again? You're absolutely correct. This is now the favorite to come out of the East. Uh, there's nobody else in the East that has the kind of talent, at least in the starting five, that these that these Nets have. Because you can run with, you can run with, you know, as you said, Kyrie, 
James Harden, Joe Harris, KD, and, and DeAndre Jordan, who, while he's old, is still not a bad option at the center position. He still will block shots and get rebounds, and it's not like they need him as a consistent scoring threat now with the additions that they have made. The bench does look a little scary. The bench is a little scary to me. They could get beat. I'm telling when you, some, the, the Heat could beat this. I say they could get beat. They could get beat when they have to, you know, make some subs and, and give some people some rest. That's when you're going to see this Nets team lose games. And you saw them already, you know, play a close one with the Magic, who really aren't a joke at this point. And we've seen the Magic be at or in the, very close to or in the playoffs the past couple of years. So, I mean, the Magic are still a good team. But, we, you know, it's it's something where it's, it's, it's a really shiny and really nice starting five. But once you look past that, especially with uh, Spencer Dinwiddie being out for, I believe, the rest of the season with a torn ACL, it's just something that you're going to – you might see him drop some games and, and, and potentially drop a playoff series to just a deeper team, like you said, like the, like the Miami Heat, who definitely don't have the same starting five. But when you look at how deep that team can go and who they can bring in off the bench, will work some of the guys that come off the bench for the Nets. And Jared Allen, getting rid of Jared Allen and Karius LeVert, who we just now learned has, you know, a small mass in his, somewhere in his... In his kidney. In his kidney. There we go. Bang. And, you know, he's having big health problems. But getting rid of Jared Allen is is really problematic because I would consider him the best interior defender in the, in the NBA. I think he's the best shot blocker in the league right now. So getting rid of him when you're when you know your Western Conference opponent is more than likely going to be Anthony Davis and LeBron. It is it is troublesome to think about, but you did have to make this deal for to get James Harden because the fact of the matter is you weren't going to beat them with just KD and Kyrie having to score. So we're going to see if it pays off. It's going to be an interesting thing to track over the course of the season to see how it goes. He hasn't played with Kyrie yet, so we're going to have to see how that goes with him being out with COVID protocols and Things like that, so we're going to see. It's definitely going to make everything more interesting here in the East and uh, and all that that we're going to see as we, as we get into the heat and the meat of this NBA season. Uh, also on Wednesday, Mac McClung hits a game-winning three to beat number four Texas, giving them their first loss in the conference with the Red Raiders of Texas Tech coming out on top 79-77. to As I said, Mac McClung hit that. Uh, game-winning three also added 22 points uh, in a game where the Texas Tech shot 41% from the floor and 36% from three. Uh, and if you look at the, you just look at percentage-wise, you know Texas shot 42% from the floor and 52% from three. But uh, at the end of the day, it looks like the free throw percentage for the Longhorns being only down at 58% in this game is what came back to bite them. Oh, certainly, especially with how well Texas Tech shot from the line relative to them, 78%. So they shot 20% better on just about the same amount of attempts. So that did, in fact, make the difference. But I've been really impressed with Texas Tech over the last few years. You know, they made it to the national championship in 2018 and against that uh, Virginia team, which is actually the last March Madness tournament we've had. So they're, they're the, one of the last two teams there you go. the national championship. <laughs> and... Yeah, I've been really impressed with them. Mac McClung, a great transfer they got from Georgetown. The fit never really made sense there in the first place. And he's been playing extremely well for them, averaging you know double figures with 16 points, shooting 43%. He's been a great addition to that team. And I'm excited to see what Texas Tech does because they could go on a run and win this conference too. Yeah, of course, they're 4-2 and two in the conference. And for them to get back into the conference here, 
We're going to need to see somebody beat Baylor. We're going to need to see a conference team beat Baylor to open big the door Monday. for anyone. We got and, but Monday. as you said, yeah, tomorrow night, Big Monday, we do have a, a Baylor with a good chance to lose as they play, what, Kansas, right? Yep, they play Kansas. It's going to be it's going to be an interesting one. My boy Jalen Wilson is going to have to show up to win that one. Baylor is a phenomenal team on defense. They they create so many opportunities on defense. They're, they're certainly the sure favorite to win it right now. Well, yeah, no, I wouldn't be surprised if we got to see some of these other teams like Texas, like Texas Tech, uh, make a run at it. It'll be fun to watch. The Big 12 will be fun to watch again this year in terms of basketball. On Thursday, we had some new head coaching hires. The Jacksonville Jaguars hired Urban Meyer and the Jets hired Robert Sala. Of course, Urban Meyer, the former Ohio State coach, and Robert Sala, the former 49ers defensive coordinator uh, who's helped that defense be so good over the past couple of years. Uh, so which one of these hires uh, do you like more, and which one do you think is going to be more successful? Well, it is, it's going to be interesting. I'll say at this point in time, I'm going to say Salah because he has experience coaching in the NFL. I think it's a completely different game than college. College, if you win the national championship, for example, you win the title, you know, you're going to get a top five recruiting class more than likely. If you win the Super Bowl, you're getting the worst draft pick. You got to pay all your guys. You got to do all types of different things that are going to work at your detriment rather than your success. So it's going to be interesting to see how Urban Meyer adjusts to it. And keep in mind, talent playing field as well. When you're Ohio State, you have a lot more talent. Or even Florida, when he was there, have much more talent than anyone you play most of the time. When you're in Jacksonville, not so much. It's a lot more even. So I'm going to say Robert Salah right now, and it's going to be it's going to be interesting. First Muslim head coach in the National Football League. You think Robert Salah is the one you the, is the hiring you like more, or Robert Salah is the one that is going to be more I successful? I like it. I it's both. I like it. I like it more, and and I think he's going to perform better. Who do you think that? Because of course, with him being in charge now, what do you think? Of course, with this college football season being done and and the draft order being pretty much established, and the fact that the Jets will not be able to take Trevor Lawrence with the first pick, which we definitely assume Urban Meyer will be doing down there in Jacksonville. Who do you think the Jets uh, take? Do you think that they're going to pick Justin Fields, a quarterback? Do you think they're going to try and take offensive linemen? I've heard some talk about them maybe trying to take Heisman winner Devontae Smith, and then I've also heard that you know they aren't necessarily too hot on Justin Fields, so they might try and trade back and give somebody else the second pick and try and get a few extra picks with that second overall pick. So what do you think Salah's going to do with that uh, with that pick at number two? Trading down would not be a bad idea, especially if you are not interested in Justin Fields because someone is for sure going to be interested in him. So if you can trade with one of those teams that are actually interested in him to, to get more draft capital out of that second round, or second overall pick that you're not going to necessarily use, I think that's the move. If you have a lineman that you really want, draft that lineman. I don't think they should draft Justin Fields, especially with still having Sam Darnold. I think Darnold still throws a better ball than Fields does. He's not a better athlete, but he can run if he needs to. And I just think Sam Darnold has all the tools to be a star in this league if he just has the weapons around him. Yeah, no, I like it. I, I would agree with the fact that I'm not sure Justin Fields is a, is a clear-cut second pick. There are going to be teams that want him. There are going to be teams that are going to try and get him, and, and there's someone's going to take him, and they might be successful with, with him. And we like his play style, and it's fun, and it was fun to watch in college and all that stuff. 
I just don't think it translates. No, I mean, I'm not sure. Really I'm, not, you know, I'm not. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm not sure if that's the right if that's the right call at two. I don't think it's the right call at two. I think it's the right call later in the first round. But I'm just not sure if it's the right call to jump on that with the second pick. So I agree with you with trading. I draft that kid from BYU over Zach Wilson. Fields. I I draft Zach Wilson over him. I've been I've been impressed with his ability to throw the ball. Like I like Justin Fields. I think he's a great athlete. I think he's a great player. Has a lot of heart. He showed that in the semifinals and the championship. But they're just I just don't think he's on that level. So do you think they do you think so you think trade back or do you think pick somebody else? Because I mean they are lacking, of course they're lacking the wide receiver depth, they're lacking the running back depth, they're lacking the O line depth, they're lacking the defensive depth. You know, you like Sam Darnold, so that you say they don't need to pick a quarterback. Probably so. trade back top ten and then get a lineman. If if that's how it will shape out. I haven't looked at all the draft boards and all that. It's still very early. But we're gonna we're gonna find out and we're gonna see we're gonna see what happens. I think they have many places they could go. I just don't think it should be Fields. Okay, I agree. I mean, I I, I see your point. And I, I I would agree with that. I don't think they're they're gonna take. I don't think that they're gonna take Fields at two. We'll have to see exactly what happens and what Salah decides to do. And then, I mean, this might be a stupid question, but I'm gonna ask it anyways. There's no way they don't take trust uh, the Jags don't take Trevor Lawrence at the first pick, right? I think that is 100 percent the it's. Even if even if he's a bust, let's say even if he's a bust, the the backlash that would happen if he wasn't picked one and he turned out to be what everyone has said he is, everyone's gone. You have to pick Trevor Lawrence. You have to. I'm on the same page with you on that one. I just wanted to make sure that that we were in agreement there that that the Jags are taking. And when Trevor it comes Lawrence. and when it comes to on paper, Trevor Lawrence is the guy. He throws an incredible ball. He's a great athlete. He's smart. Won a national championship when he was, you know, 18, 19 years old. I mean, dude's dude's a killer, and he arguably could have more if he hadn't if he didn't have to go up against two of the greatest teams of all time in this Alabama team led by Devontae Smith, and then last year's LSU team led by Joe Burrow. Yeah, you're no, you're absolutely correct. You could, you definitely could have multiple national championships, and and he definitely could have a Heisman as well if if. If you know people just weren't playing as as well as they were, you mean know, Joe Burrow breaking all those records, Devontae Smith playing out of his mind. That's why I wouldn't have minded them giving it to him, just because he had been a finalist for three straight years. Yeah, but at this point this year, I don't think there was any way that you could have made an argument that his resume not for, was not better for than any of those single, other guys. Not yeah. for his single season, though. Oh. Apparently, we got nothing going on much on Friday. I was traveling. I was in the car. I was driving, so I wasn't really paying attention, and it doesn't seem like there was much going on anyway. So uh, yeah. we're going to skip over Friday and move right to Saturday because we got plenty to talk about with Saturday. Deshaun Watson officially wants out of Houston, uh, and he's looking for an option uh, somewhere else. What do you think the likelihood is that he, one, gets out of Houston, and two, where do you think his most likely landing spots are? if he does, in fact, leave the Texans. Well, with all the reports coming out, he's definitely gone. I don't see him suiting up for that franchise. And I completely respect his decision because they have done everything in their power to try and upset him. Let's think back, and we've talked about this trade numerous times on the show, but the David Johnson for DeAndre Hopkins plus that second-round pick. That was the one of the worst trades that could have possibly ever happened. You traded... Arguably the best wide receiver in football. Certainly that year he had the best season. For a guy who is always hurt, an aged running back, and has a gigantic salary. And then you got a second round pick. Terrible trade. That's going to upset your franchise quarterback. 
He signs the contract extension. Then he says he wants Bienemy. They take the longest time to tr to get the interview with Bienemy. They just they just got it done, or what they said. They just scheduled it. I think. I think they're gonna do it soon. They've just done everything in their power to upset one of the best young quarterbacks in this game. So I don't blame them for wanting to leave, and I see him leaving for all the reasons I just said. The management hasn't listened to him. You see, there's a big difference between you know. When they're when when they're talking when the Chiefs front office is talking to Mahomes, Mahomes said he wanted Clyde Edwards Hilaire. What did they do? They drafted Clyde Edwards Hilaire. And then so many people were shaking their heads. And then you look at over wildcard weekend is what we just watched, you know, last weekend and even yesterday, you see J.K. Dobbins and Jonathan Taylor dropping easy passes. You know, Mahomes was right in that case, and they listened to him, even though Clyde Edwards-Hilaire wasn't the number I mean, one running back. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, both Jonathan Taylor and J.K. Dobbins had better seasons this year than Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Which is fine. Clyde's been hurt, but Clyde's a much... Point, point being, listen to your franchise quarterback who's going to be there for the next decade, because you do not want to upset him. We know that Deshaun Watson, I would label him the second-best quarterback, 25 and under. You know, he's... He's the guy. He's the guy. He yeah. is the guy. He's the guy you need to be. He's the guy you need to be helping, working with, communicating with nonstop, and making sure that his needs are accounted for. Because he's the guy. You can't upset him. Because if he leaves, it's all over. It's done. So you're pretty set on the fact that he is leaving this year. Yeah, I mean, he wants out. He wants out. Schefter's saying this. So where? do you think is the most likely spots for him to go? Because I completely agree with you in the fact that I think we've seen his last game as a Texan. I thought we think saw his last game as a, as a Houston Texan uh, in Week 17. Uh, and I completely agree with that, with all the reports that you're saying and what Schefter's been saying about him wanting out and, and that he's angry and he's upset and he's not liking what's going on. I, th I definitely think he's gone. But where do you think he goes and what do you think the Texans are going to demand for him? Well, they're certainly going to get some first-round picks for him. They're going to get probably a good a good player piece as well. And the team that – now, I don't know who's going to try and trade for him, but if I was this team and if I was the 49ers, I would trade for him. Because if you replaced Jimmy Garoppolo with Deshaun Watson and his playmaking ability along with the RPOs and the rollouts you could do with him and all the special things – you can do with Deshaun Watson along with that offensive line, the receiving threats, the defense, and everything else. Kyle Shanahan calling the plays. That is a recipe for disaster for the rest of the league. And they could win numerous Super Bowls there. So I think that is the clear team that needs to try and make a move, get out there, and make a play. Your Bears are another I was going to say, other teams we've heard of that should be interested, the Miami Dolphins, the Chicago Bears, and the New England Patriots. I have all heard are looking uh, at I think trying be, to get him. Do you think any of those are a good are a good place to try and trade for him? I think if I was any of those teams, I try and trade for him. This kid is the truth. I mean, he is uh, truthfully. I would have loved to see an alternate universe. Obviously, as a Chiefs fan, I'm happy with Mahomes. But seeing what would have happened if Deshaun Watson was there instead of Mahomes, and those two flipped, because then you still have they're both mile easily. It, incredibly successful in either situation. But I would just love to see what would have happened if Deshaun and Mahomes flipped teams. Yeah, no, I'd love to see the Bears offer everything but the kitchen sink for him. Yeah. Because it's just it's just something that you would this this is this is a move that you could make that would completely change your franchise. Yeah, and it is for for anybody that is pretty much, you know, 
you're looking at you're looking at a very slim handful of teams that trading for Deshaun Watson would not completely change your franchise. You know, you're not looking. You, the Ravens aren't going to trade for him. The Chiefs aren't going to trade for him. The Bills aren't going to trade for him. But you're, I mean, you're looking at everywhere else that have, even people that have an aging quarterback. You're looking at the Saints. The Saints when if they went out and got him, try and made it work with the cap space, that'd be incredible. You know, Tom Brady's not going to be around forever. If the Bucks went out and got him, it'd be something cool to watch there. I mean, you don't see. I mean. For, for 25 teams in the NFL right now, this is a quarterback that could absolutely change the future Easily. and the trajectory of your franchise. <laughs> Easily, and it might be even higher than that, honestly. This kid is so amazing. I think any of those teams we just listed could be going after him. Uh, I'm going to let you talk a little bit about the UFC here on Saturday. Of course, there were some fights yesterday and something about Dana White teasing a uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov return to the uh, UFC and the Octagon. Uh, so I'm going to let you talk a little bit about what we saw yesterday on the fight card, a little bit about the uh, Conor McGregor-Dustin Poirier card coming up next weekend before our next show, and uh, a little bit about the uh, Habib rumors of him coming back. And yeah, we'll start with the Habib Nurmagomedov rumors. They met earlier this week. I didn't put it on the show because Dana came out with his comment. He said if someone really impresses Habib at the Saturday fight card between Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier, if one of those two guys impresses him, he will consider coming out of retirement. Now, what does impress him mean, though? What does that mean? Habib's not an easy guy to impress. Knockouts? Early knockouts? Are we going to have to see? <laughs> now, if Conor goes out there and starches him in 60 mm-hmm. seconds, this is where I'm getting, this is where I'm going to get concerned. Because I feel like if Conor does that, then... Habib doesn't want to leave because he might not. He might just make the argument, "Oh, well, I'm not going to get a knockdown in 60 seconds." So he didn't show me that he could go into deep waters and beat a guy like Poirier. It's going to be interesting to see what exactly he means by that spectacular performance. And even for Dustin, maybe if Dustin does something, but we all know Dustin Poirier isn't beating Habib. He's not beating him. Conor McGregor has the best chance out of anybody in that division to beat. Habib, and I don't think it's close. You say, and he's had, and, and Connor's had the shot too, and he hasn't done it. Yeah, yeah, he had the shot. I don't think anyone beats him, but if the best chance to beat him is certainly Connor, and Connor proved that when he fought him, and he proved it, and he's proved it with everybody else having poor performances against him. Now to go into the main event of last night, Max Holloway's unanimous decision over Calvin Cater, one of the best boxing displays we've ever seen in the UFC. He was piecing him up. He was landing whatever he wanted at such a high volume that he always does. I told you last night, I think he has the best jab in in arguably MMA history. I mean, the dude, the dude's jab has won him so many world titles. Almost won won the 155 belt as well. The uh, one over Dustin Poirier, who's fighting Connor next week. So. It all worked full circle, but Max put himself right back in that 145 title picture and with one of the best performances and quite possibly fight of the year, early fight of the year nomination in January. So exciting stuff in the UFC world. And we will talk about that McGregor fight next week for sure. Yeah, because that happens on a Saturday night next week. So tune into the show next week for a uh, breakdown of that one because I know we'll both be watching at least the main event of that. I, I can't speak if I'll be watching the whole card, but I will definitely be there for the for the Connor and Poirier fight. Green Bay Packers uh, yesterday advanced to the NFC Championship game after uh, defeating the Los Angeles Rams in a game that really didn't feel close for most of the game. 32-18 uh, uh, in this one. 
Aaron Rodgers, of course, uh, was Aaron Rodgers in the playoffs and passed for 296 and two touchdowns. Aaron Jones added 100 and a touchdown on the ground. And the Rams' offense was what we expected from the Rams' offense and was disappointing in the fact that Jared Goff went for 175 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Cam Akers played well, had 90 yards rushing and a touchdown. But uh, it's it's just you can't have an offensive performance like that and beat the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau Field in the playoffs. And that was my biggest concern. And if we did have a show on you know Saturday or we got to pick it, I would have certainly picked the Packers because Jared Goff and that broken thumb we knew was not going to be able to outscore Aaron Rodgers. I know that that Rams defense is great, and they didn't play bad, you know. They didn't play bad. I mean, they played about as well as you could have hoped. Aaron Donald couldn't make the plays that he needed to because he had, you know, rib cartilage damage or something like that. He had really hurt ribs that had to be pretty painful to play through, you imagine. And, you know, the other, other than that, we know Aaron Rodgers is having one of the greatest seasons of all time. Certainly had to win at least one playoff game, we thought, this year. Aaron Rodgers is on another level. Jared Goff, you know, like you said during the game, 31 for 27, 170-plus yards, one TD. Played okay, especially for a guy with a broken thumb. But, man, there's just a whole other level when it comes to the playoffs. And his dink and dunk style that he had to utilize with his broken thumb just couldn't be enough to beat Rodgers. Yeah, absolutely correct. And and Jalen Ramsey, all things considered, kind of did his job on Devontae Adams. I'm looking at it. He did have nine catches, but he only went for 66 yards and a touchdown. Of course, the big bomb was the one to Alan Lazard, who uh, who escaped for a long 58-yard touchdown reception uh, to pretty much put that game on ice late. But, uh, but yeah, no, as you said, it was just too much. We watched. We watched Aaron Rodgers, you know, pull away from the Rams in the second quarter and, and really never look back. It's crazy. I was just watching the highlight down there on that little screen. But yeah, mm-hmm. Rodgers, Lazard played amazing. Lazard being that second option for them receiving has been really huge, and he's going to have to step up next week when who they. I guess we don't know who they're going to play, but the other game we have to talk about the Buffalo Bills dominating the Baltimore Ravens seventeen to three. It was a it was an interesting football game to say the least. Certainly not as exciting as we would have thought it was going to be. No, we saw it three three at the half. A Buffalo field goal in the first quarter. A Baltimore field goal in the second quarter. Two missed kicks uh, on on field goals by by both kickers. Uh, not something you normally see from Justin Tucker. Uh, Stephon Diggs added 106 receiving yards and a touchdown for Buffalo. Josh Allen. Really didn't have to do too much in this game. He only passed for 200 yards and a touchdown and only added three rushing yards in that game. Uh, But the story of the game had to be the fact that Baltimore's offense just couldn't get going. And the one chance that they really had when they were down by a touchdown uh, and driving in the red zone, Lamar Jackson, as you like to say, and you, you say this to me all the time, he committed his one costly turnover that he has in each of his playoff games. And this one was a big one, an interception in the end zone that was returned 101 yards to the house for a touchdown, which put the Bills up 17-3 there at the end of the third quarter. Of course, Lamar Jackson would go down injured with a concussion shortly thereafter and not return to the game. His backup, Tyler Huntley, came in, did pass for 60 yards, but of course not able to put up any points. And and the Baltimore Ravens uh, left left upstate New York with only three points and a spot on the couch for next week. 
And then another thing for why they only left with three points was Justin Tucker missing two field goals in the early stages of the game. And that provided, you know, a lot. Changed the whole game, really. Justin Tucker hitting the post not once, but twice. Lamar Jackson didn't have the best game. Josh Allen didn't either. A very defensive game. Very windy game, might I add, which may makes sense for why there were so many missed field goals on both sides. But that's the big story from this game. Very defensive. Not as exciting as we would have hoped and wished for, but Josh Allen and Buffalo gets it done, and they will be going to the AFC title game for the first time since the 90s. Bill's Mafia is back. It's, it's really exciting to see what they've built there in upstate New York, and it's it's not a team that you can expect to really go away here anytime soon. If Josh Allen can keep playing at the level that he's playing at, they've got their wide receiver one in Stephon Diggs. Uh, their running backs are, are nothing that jumps off the page, but they're capable. They can run. We obviously saw Zach Moss go down last week uh, with an injury, but he'll be back next year. And, and Devin Singletary's not a bad back that they have there. And that defense... We were worried about their ability to stop the run, and, and yes, they did give up 150 yards on the ground, but it never felt like you know the Ravens were running the ball down their throat and, and the Bills weren't able to stop them because that was the one main concern that when you were looking at, at the offenses and the defenses here uh, coming into this game, it was, well, the Ravens are one of the best rushing teams in the league, and the Bills' rush defense is, is not what it needs to be to stop a team like the Ravens, and, and, and they showed up and came to play. And you saw that with the Ravens not having a rush over 20 yards. I mean, that's that's pretty good. They didn't let anyone break loose and get, get into open space, and that's really how you beat the Ravens come playoff time. You don't give up big plays on running. You bend, don't break, and you, you win the game. You let, you let Lamar Jackson kind of beat himself, and that's what happened with that pick six. Didn't, hasn't turned the ball over as frequently this postseason, but has turned the ball over nonetheless. So... It's going to be interesting to see how they rebound from this loss and what what they do, what they're going to try and do differently in the off season. It's nice. It's not something like where the Ravens where you can just tear it down. They're still going eleven and five and making the playoffs each year, but it's just certainly it's just the thing that they get there, and it's like, well, now what? <laughs> yeah. 100 percent are you ready to talk about these games today let's talk about today's games of course coming up we're recording here it's about noon on sunday while we're recording so just about two hours away uh we've got the chiefs and the cleveland browns looking for their second playoff win uh of the season and their second playoff win in a long time here uh as we uh Get that game from Arrowhead, the number one seed Chiefs getting their first game under their belt. We saw that NFC's number one seed dominate pretty heavily yesterday. Will we see more of the same today? Um, It's fair to assume that, but this Cleveland team has a lot of, and a lot of talent. I mean, just at running back alone, you have the best duo in, in the NFL right now. Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt at running back, both of them are going to be able to provide a lot of matchup problems for the Chiefs linebackers, especially with Willie Gay's status a little questionable with the injury he sustained in Week 17. Going off that, you have Jarvis Landry and Baker Mayfield in that connection, which has been really good in the second half. Especially since Odell Beckham Jr. went down. We needed Jarvis Landry to step up. If you're a Browns fan, you needed him to step up, and, and he answered the call. He answered the call. and uh, Of course, a big thing... For the Browns, they do get Denzel Ward back today, uh, and that's a huge addition to their secondary uh, because he is their best corner, 
and you know having a, a matchup nightmare problem like you do with the Chiefs and their offensive weapons in the passing game. You know you need a, a strong number one corner if you're going to want to have any hope in containing someone like Tyreek Hill. Uh, so it's going to be an interesting matchup to see those guys together. Of course, uh, the Browns not great against tight ends at least this year. So we're going to win when they've got the number one tight end today. <laughs> so that's going to be a matchup to watch, I think, if you're playing any fantasy today. I would say Travis Kelsey is a must-have if you're doing any fantasy today like I am. Uh, but yeah, I, I do think the Chiefs come, on, come out on top in this one. Uh, that's my opinion. I think it'll be decently close, though. I don't think the Chiefs will, will run away with this one. Uh, but I, I do see them coming out on top and making a, what, third consecutive AFC championship game appearance. It'll be, um, yeah, an interesting stat for that. If the Chiefs did win, they would be the second team in NFL history to host three straight uh, conference championship games. You know who the other team is? Patriots. Oh, it's the Eagles. That's a good guess, though. It's the Eagles from, like, 2001 to 2004. Interesting. Andy Reid's team as well. Well, Andy Reid apparently likes playing in the playoffs at home. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, what's, the, uh, what's the word on, on, on the fans? You will have fans at Arrowhead today, correct? Yes, there will be fans. I'm not sure. Let me see if I can find them. Because we, saw, right we saw fans for the first time at Lambeau Field yesterday for the, for the Packers. It was, nice, of course, nice to see people there in, in the stadium. We saw a very loud atmosphere in Buffalo, as you could probably expect, even with a limited capacity, the, the 12th man in Buffalo was out strong. And I know we will have fans in uh, in New Orleans for that game tonight, but I, and, and I believe the Chiefs, they've had fans for most of the season. So yeah, they've had fans all year. And, and it looks like there's going to be upwards of 16,000 at the game. That's one of the higher numbers we've seen all season. I think, I think that it might be the highest number we've seen all season. We got pretty close to that. I think the Titans last week, uh, when the Ravens were in town, had about 15,000 in the stadium. but uh, Yeah, the Packers had about nine, and it looked pretty packed in that lower border. Yeah, and I think the Bills went about uh, six, between six and 7,000 last night, and it was loud. You could hear them very well on the broadcast. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. I also see the Chiefs winning today, though, to answer I'm, that. I just think they have too much offensive firepower. They're going to make Cleveland work too much. And that's that's it, just to do my prediction. And then our second game of the day, of course, is uh, the History Channel game of the week. You got the potential final meeting between Drew Brees and Tom Brady, as I believe it is Drew Brees that is set to retire here at the end of this season, barring anything spectacular happening. Uh, we probably will not see him. So we have a, uh, a nice Last Dance-esque kind of uh, matchup here between uh, the Buccaneers and Tom Brady. And the Saints and Drew Brees. And wow, this is an exciting football game. I mean, you said potentially their last matchup. I would say their last matchup for sure. Drew Brees, he's done after this year. I think we all know it without it necessarily being announced. Drew Brees isn't coming back. And it's going to be a fun one. I mean, the Saints in the regular season, since these are in division rivals, blew them out two times. It's going to be tough to beat Brady three times. It's going to be incredibly tough, and there's not a quarterback you want to see less in the postseason than Tom Brady. And that's why I've got the Bucks tonight. They're not losing three times to the Saints in one season. Should that's, I say, just, that's just unheard of. You know, I'm going to pick the Bucks, but not because I think they're going to win, but because I really don't want to root on the Saints in winning this game and me wanting to beat you in the picks, or our two picks we'd have. So I'm going to go, you know, I'm just going to go with the Saints. I think the Saints are going to win, but I will be rooting on the Bucks because I, I want to see Brady host that 
Tampa Bay Super Bowl. That'd be fun. I'd love to see. I mean, and I think everybody that's a, a fan of the NFL would love to see uh, Drew Brees go out on top, kind of like Peyton Manning did there with the uh, with the Broncos when he retired. But I just don't think that's the case. And I see, I see Tom Brady coming out on top uh, tonight, and and Tampa moving on to play in, in in a rematch of a game that they dominated Aaron Rodgers in earlier this season when Aaron Rodgers had, you know, two interceptions early, which is just unheard of from him in a game at this point in his career. So it's be interesting. It'd be an interesting matchup. I think either are interesting matchups, but yeah, Rodgers could get his revenge after Brady gets his <laughs> revenge. It's it's revenge. It's revenge season. Okay. Well, let's talk about upsets then. <laughs> Uh, Nick, you want to go right ahead? Yes, sir. For my for my upset pick of the week? Yes, sir. I got Florida State beating ranked Louisville on Monday. It'll be that Monday, it'll be the Monday game before the Monday night game that we were talking about earlier with Kansas and Baylor. I see Florida State getting it done. I've got Maryland, who's beaten Illinois on the road and Wisconsin on the road this season in the Big Ten, taking Michigan down in Ann Arbor this weekend, or on Tuesday, not this weekend, but this week. Uh, they, of course, have already lost to Michigan once this year. It wasn't too far of a, uh, too far off of a game. It was decently close for a lot of it. But Maryland's been playing teams really tough in this tough Big Ten schedule, and, and I see Michigan dropping a second straight game uh, in the Big Ten. And then, you want to do moment of the week? You missed the moments. You did. Oh, you did I skipped upset. the moments. Yes. My moment of the week. You know, I thought about this for a while because I couldn't really think of something. But, you know, on Thursday, I watched the Houston Rockets pick up a win over the San Antonio Spurs. They were down, or they were up by two. P.J. Tucker finished out drill, drilling the last two free throws to win the game. To win it by four, 109 to 105, if I remember that correctly. And that was their first game without hard. And it was just nice to see Christian Wood, John Wall, and those guys, Boogie Cousins as well, get a dub. After all the disrespect they've been all the disrespect they've been dealing with this last, you know, few months now, honestly, with James Harden. Yeah, uh, and my moment of the week is also gonna be James Harden, and it's gonna be him with his triple double, uh thirty point triple double in his first game here with the Nets. Uh, and in addition to that, he, he shared the ball exceptionally well. We haven't seen him share the ball that well uh, since really Chris Paul left Houston probably uh, a couple of years back now. So it was really nice to see him passing the ball, rebounding. He even added, a I believe, a steal and a block or so, which we are not accustomed to seeing his defense. So he's, so I'm wondering if this is just a first impression game that we're seeing or if he's really going to change uh, his style a little bit here as he moves into this new system with uh, a bunch of other superstars. Yeah, 100%. It's going to be an interesting story to watch. And we will be talking about this, hopefully in the studio, on Sundays. We can 11, hope, right? <laughs> 11 to noon. We'll hopefully be able to talk that. Or you can follow us on Twitter at WeeklyWalkKCOU to get more updates on that. And my what to watch for this week, Mizzou in Tennessee on Saturday night. A rematch for quite possibly big SEC uh, regular season title hopes for both the both the Tigers and the Volunteers. Yes, Tennessee Volunteers. That sounds right. Going to be an exciting one on Saturday night to kind of mix in with the McGregor fight fight week we'll have coming into next week. And my what to watch for is what we just talked about a few minutes ago. And it is uh, the Breeze and Brady matchup for the last time. We won't. We haven't seen a uh, 
We haven't seen a last dance like this in quite a while, so it's going to be uh, fun to watch these two legends and future Hall of Fame quarterbacks uh, duel it out one more time. And that'll do it for us this week. Follow us on Twitter at WeeklyWalkKCOU for more content and more updates on what we're doing throughout the week, any Saturday shows we're doing, any extra stuff we're doing. So just check us out there at WeeklyWalkKCOU. I'm Nick Catlin alongside Ethan Psalm signing off.